Welcome back to Texas Tea. This is your host, Roger D, where we bring on Texans who have had an amazing story of success or have overcome really large obstacles to get to where they are at and hopefully give to others. Uh, and that's just what I have on today. Today's guest is quite an amazing story. I think we can all agree that Houston is one of the biggest hubs of sex trafficking, and we need to get those numbers down significantly. And any victim of sex trafficking, their journey does not end once they get out of that situation. And my guest today, she has walked that life and realized how difficult it is to get on your feet when you come from such a traumatic experience. Now, she has taken those experiences, created a nonprofit, and she's helping victims of sex trafficking like herself rebuild an entire new life. So today I have on Kathy Gibbons and Gabrielle Rojas representing 1211 Partners, and I'm very happy to have you guys on. Happy to be here. Thank you. Yeah, no problem. No problem. Uh, I have a first question I want to ask. Specifically, if someone happens to be listening or knows someone that has had this terrible uh, event happen to them or continuous event, um, to try to get on your feet is a big task. And, and some, I'm sure someone who's come from a sex trafficking situation doesn't really know where to start or, or how to you know rebuild their life what would you be your biggest one point and we can expand on it advice to, to give them well for someone that is walking in those shoes or has walked in those shoes um i would definitely encourage them to keep fighting okay. and to let them know that they're not alone that there's a whole community of support out here that are you know we're, we're willing and ready to walk alongside them um as they journey to to better and we'll say that because a lot of victims don't identify as victims. So the first thing I would say is that, you know, like you, if someone's in a situation where they are being sold for sex or sold for labor, um, no human deserves that. And so whether you identify as a trafficking um, victim or not, there is exploitation. And so we definitely want to support them and encourage them and let them know that there's a whole community out here that has their back. Uh, safe community. Yeah. So almost like the first step is being able to identify what you've gone through and that being okay. Exactly. It's okay that you went through that and that's not your fault, essentially. Okay. Yeah. Well, can we roll into your story to start off then? Yeah. Um, how, how did that happen for you? And you can go in whatever depth you want, but... Sure. Um, what was the moment you realized that you're like, I really have to get out of this situation and, and how'd that look and, and how did you f get into that and how'd you get out? Love to hear that story. Yeah, glad you asked. Um, so my story, when I tell it, it kind of breaks down a lot of misconceptions that people have about trafficking. So the first, the first uh, image that comes to mind when you hear trafficking, right, is probably something like taken, big white van, big men taking you away and, and abducting you. And though that does happen, um, it, it rarely does. And so my situation kind of mimics what trafficking really looks like. And uh, it, it looks like a relationship. <laughs> For me, it looked like a relationship. It was an individual that I was introduced to mutual by a mutual friend. 
Um, really cool guy at first. Uh, he was a local celebrity. He was into music, did the singing thing, had his old band and everything. Um, and then he started inviting me and my friends out to hang out and, and you know, go into the VIP rooms and the green rooms. And we were behind stage with them when they would perform, him and his group would perform. And so it was kind of like a glamorous lifestyle. And that was my level of intoxication is that glamorous life, was that glamorous lifestyle. So it wasn't like, you know, drugs and alcohol for me. It was like, oh, snap, we get to go out and we get to go into these clubs and we're not even old enough to get into some of these clubs. And so it was like, I'm digging this, like, this is awesome. And so we did that and we did a lot of hanging out for like the first six months after meeting these guys. And then the invitation started to change. So it was no longer, hey, you guys, you girls, come hang out, right? Now it was just like, hey, no, you, Kathy, come hang out with me. And the person, the individual that was sending the invitations happened to be like the head of the group. He was the best singer, played the most instruments, the most talented, and he kind of like had, you know, every, his whole entourage behind him. And so for me, it was like, oh, oh my goodness, like the main guy is interested in me and he wants me to start hanging out with him. And so, yeah, I started hanging out with him and it was, I thought that I was, uh, in, t in this relationship, obviously we know that it was a facade, but it was this just relationship of me hanging out and going out to the studio sessions and building. And I say that it was a facade of a relationship because it really felt like a relationship because he would, you know, ask me questions that made me feel he like he cared. So things like, well, what's your favorite color? What do you like to eat? But you know, unbeknownst to me, he was also finding out every detail of my life, mm. like where my friends lived and where my, my mom lived and where I went to school and where I went to church and just everything. Right. So he was finding out every detail of my life. But I thought because he was so into me and he was asking all these questions, it was love. So I fell in love with this guy um, and had this relationship for almost a year and right about that year, Mark, is when he started to, you know, tell me his plan about uh, starting his record label. And, you know, so I'm his girl, right? So I need you a part of my team. That's what he was mm -hmm. saying. You know, I need you to be with me and it's going to be us against the world. And we're going to make so much money and you won't have to, like, live with your mom anymore and stuff like that. So my first thought was like, well, I don't know anything about music. Why is he asking me? This has to be love if he's asking me to be a part of his team, right? Yeah. So went for it. And his idea was we had to go to Dallas, leave Houston, and go to Dallas to like meet some investors of this label. And um, I was hesitant, but I did it. And then literally, like Mr. Charming is what I identify him as. Mr. Charming literally turned into a complete monster as soon as we got to Dallas. As soon as he got me to Dallas, he flipped the script. And it was like an outer body experience, and I was forced to do like all these crazy things, right? And so I was literally forced into trafficking. What I didn't know was trafficking um, then, just I was aware of what prostitution was. Mm. So I was like, oh my gosh, like the dude that I love is forcing me to sell myself. Um, and he was very violent and very controlling. And a lot of people would ask, you know, why didn't you leave and stuff? But there was a trauma bond already formed. Um, and he was very aggressive and I was out of fear, obviously. Fast forward, I get out of that ev that terrible, terrible, terrible life. That those three months turned into almost a like a year of my life, um, of just living outside of my body. And you know, if you've ever learned or heard what trafficking victims have to go through, um, I'll leave it to the imagination. Whatever you can imagine is probably what I went through, and ten times worse.
So um, that happened for almost a year. And so I get out because one of the other girls that he had trafficked um, started flipping out, really. She was having like a mental breakdown because she had a history of mental illness. Mm. And so he couldn't handle her. She was lashing out at him, screaming, all this kind of stuff. And he wanted to have her, you know, put into the hospital there in Dallas. But I convinced him to drive back to Houston um, to get her to where her doctors were. And he went for that only because she happened to be the mother of his child. And so he couldn't just like be violent and then just offer like he did that he, like he frequently did other girls, right? This time he was like, okay, well, I have to get her somewhere because what happens if I go back without her? Then family, who, who and mind you, he's living two lives. So his family, um, all legit, were thinking that, oh, he's making money through his music, but this is, you know, he was living the double life. So we got back to Houston and I was able, long movie, I'm not gonna like tell the whole script, but <laughs> it was a crazy, crazy experience on how I even got away from him, but I finally did. And this is where like this whole my purpose comes into play because I would like to say that I walked away and I never looked back, but I did often mm -hmm. because before I went um, with this individual, before I allowed this individual into my life, I considered myself a pretty healthy girl. You know, I had a, a vision of what I wanted to do in life. I had a great support system, came from a good home, good upbringing. Um, but when I got back, I couldn't identify with that, who that person was before. So all of my dignity and everything was stripped away. So I had to learn life again and learn to be accepted again. And I couldn't comprehend why I just couldn't fit in. And I just couldn't. Um, and so, yeah, there are several times that I looked back like, well, maybe I just need to because everything that he told me was true about myself. Maybe I just need to go back because that's all I know. Um, but that. Thankfully, I didn't. You know, thank God I didn't because um, I think he underestimated, though he had me in the palm of his hand, he underestimated the power of my support system. He underestimated the power of my family and my friends. They were not going to let me go back with him. And so, yeah, it took some growing through that. But um, that's kind of like how I got out. And I was going to, I was going to ask. Uh, what what do you feel like was the the moment that you realized like because you said the trauma bond had already been created mm -hmm. so it's just I I would assume it's insane to try to get away from something like that mm -hmm. I have I have not experienced that directly um, but how how are you able to through that regardless of that trauma bond be able to see what was going on. And like, what, what was like the main thing that clicked and you're like, okay, I have to find a way to get out of this. So when I was actually in the situation, like in Dallas and actively being trafficked, um, because of the trauma bond, he would still, like he would do things like abuse me and then come and tell me, oh, that was just for show, you know, uh, much like a DV relationship, right? Yeah. Um, and so I'm thinking that I'm still like, okay, well, maybe we just need to get through this rough patch and then we could be happy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and maybe he'll stop making me do these horrible things. Um, but he promised me that he would never put me out on the street when we first got there. He was like, well, I'm just going to have you close to me, my love. I'm going to have you close to me, and we'll just have strangers and strange men and come and take advantage of you. But at least it's here with me in the room, in the hotel room. Um, but that changed, and he put me, I remember, 
I remember like it was yesterday. He put me out on the street. He dropped me off like at 10 o'clock at night. And then I was, I stayed out there till like six o'clock in the morning, just walking. And again, you can leave it to your imagination. But when he dropped me off in the street and it was dark and I was alone and all I, it was like I heard wolves, you know, like I was just stranded and alone. That's when it clicked for me. Like, I'm going to die. Like, I'm really going to die out here if I've got to try to find a way out. I didn't know how I was going to do it. Um, I can't say that I was really hopeful, but that little ounce of hope, I was just like, maybe if I just survive moment by moment until we can get out of this. But it was that moment that I knew, oh, snap, I think I'm like in real danger, yeah. <laughs> you know? But um, So until that yeah. point, he kind of kept a facade of safety, yeah. regardless of what, what everything was going on. Yeah. Wow. So it seems that for anyone that you've probably working with, then it's it, it's it's like realities are meshed mm -hmm. of what's really going on and what's really happening to you. Uh, and so I think what you said er earlier at the beginning of this, being able to identify that uh, is one of the toughest parts. Mm -hmm. So how how would you reach uh, individuals that that are not there yet like what what are you guys trying to do to get out the message and get out in front of someone who's still in the in the situation where they're like okay i'm I'm safe yeah this is effed up but mm -hmm. you know like he's here for me or she's here for me or what mm -hmm. have you and 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 this is still okay how do you get out in front of someone like that and then also be able to carry that message so they, they click. Yeah, I think the most important thing and the most important way um, that we do that is through the fact that we are a survivor-led organization. Mm. And what that means is I can understand. Like, I'm not just some square that's coming in and, you know, like, hey, we should help you and save you. No, I'm like, on your level like I understand what you're going through so that approach allows us because we we are a survivor-led organization it allows us to connect on a different level with individuals that are in those situations because we can speak the language mm -hmm. um you can tell me that you're in love but that bruise says otherwise mm -hmm. so what is your definition of it and and yeah. so yeah that kind of helps and you us. can take from your story and just be like hey I, I get what you're saying here but I was here at, in the that was happening to me in this way. I see what you're s saying, and that was exactly what was going on here for me, and mm -hmm. this is how, how I fixed it. Exactly. So yeah, I, uh, I, I definitely don't think people like being told what to do when it's coming from someone who has no idea what they're going through. Yeah. So no, that's, that, that's amazing. So, so just the sheer fact that you have such a strong story is, is one of the biggest beacons to, to, to help people out. Yeah. Uh, and and from actually like trying to find those individuals before before they're seeking help, because is is it just that you have to you're, you're only able to help those seeking help, or you try to get in front of those who don't know they need help yet? Yeah. So in Houston, we have a really great anti-trafficking organization. The beauty mm -hmm. of it beauty of it is is that no one organization has to take on the entire responsibility, mm -hmm. right? So we don't really focus on outreach um, as 1211 partners, we don't, that's not our main focus, but we do partner with several organizations that do. And so we actually go out to the brothels, to the streets, to the um, massage parlors, the illicit mm -hmm. massage parlors, and we're like in their face, and we're just showing strip clubs, and we're just showing them love, right? Mm -hmm. Just 
here. We're here to talk. Like we're here to make let you know that you are human and you yeah. exist to us. That's right. Because you guys are kind of more on the back end mm -hmm. when finally yes, because you're you're a victim of sex trafficking, but you're you're you carry that victimhood into the rest of your life until you can find someone to help you overcome. Um, I know you guys are doing uh, the most that you guys can do uh, to get in front of as many people. Uh, the buzzword that's going around a lot in the last couple of, of uh, years is ally. And uh, like, I think people like say that too lightly. Um, if, if you were to give someone who feels like, hey, like maybe you're seeing a situation or just at least wants to be aware of what to look for and what they can do, what, what, would, what would be something that they can continually try to figure out or continually try to do to like help those who are in that situation um, and be an ally, as, as I would say? Yeah, I think when we look at trafficking, it's just it can be daunting because it's so big. And so a yeah. lot of people, they do one or two things. Either they're like, oh, yeah, that's too big. I'll send money and leave. Right. Or. <laughs> Or they just, um, they jump all in without really knowing their lane and then they get burnt out really quickly. Which, which by the way, money's still good, donate. Money is still good, <laughs> money, yes, that's the number one thing, give. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but definitely um, the practical resources. So I, you know, just recapping on what I told you about my story, when I came out of the life, I didn't understand how to be normal again. So. My healing process really looked like me faking it, mocking people and kind of imitating people in, that were around me. So at school and at church and at, in the community, I'm like, okay, well, maybe they, they do that and they walk a certain way or they dress this way, so maybe I need to start dressing like this. All of those things were imperative to my healing journey and are imperative to a lot of survivors' healing journey. So how can you help? You can help by bringing your gift to the table. So if you are um, good in finances, we need people to come help and help individuals learn how to create a financial budget or how to budget their finances, how to pay rent, how to write checks, how to like have um, manage their, their, their finances. If you're good at cooking, some people need to learn how to cook for their families because a lot of people have babies. They need to learn how to be that. Um, Whatever you can bring to the table, I always encourage people to take a step back. Like, I know you want to jump in, but take a step back and figure out what is it you're good at. If you're good at giving, hey, nonprofits need your help. We need you. If you're good at whatever you're good at, take that passion that you already have and then bring it to the anti-trafficking movement. And it's just that simple. Yeah, so it's, it's really look at the fact that someone getting out of this needs all the life skills. Uh, mm -hmm. So and figure out what what your life skill is that you're really good at, yeah. and volunteering that time would, would be the most beneficial. Exactly. Okay, I yeah. got you. Okay, that's summarize that very well. You summarize <laughs> that very well. Uh, so that's a lot to learn. And you're saying you said something very interesting where you say you were mimicking those around you. Mm -hmm. uh, so that I think is ma maybe a really important point, and I'd like you to expand on it more. Um, is is it a big uh, pathway of finding oneself again oh yeah it's huge because you like I said your dignity is completely stripped away your moral compass is completely broken down and so you just really have to figure out when people say you know the normal life or have a normal life 
well, what is normal? What does normal mean? Because my normal life for almost two years was under the control of this aggressive trafficker, right? So, mm -hmm. is that normal? Like, what does that mean? Um, so, the first thing on that pathway is to identify number one mm -hmm. as someone that has been exploited, as someone that has survived this crime, and then um, just coming to terms that with 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 your reality. Like, yes, this happened to me. I'm not to blame. Um, we have to work past the, the blame, the guilt, and then all this stuff, right? So it took, me, it took me years to actually understand what happened to me. And I didn't even know what trafficking was, but I just started volunteering with some random um, organizations in Houston. Yeah. And upon volunteering, I realized, oh, we're helping women. That's great. Yeah. Or we're helping, you know, this happens to boys too, right? So we're helping kids. That's great, right? I love giving back. I knew that I connected with that part like I always loved giving back so at this point you you had not even been able to see that you were trafficked right which is crazy I know yeah. it's yeah I just thought that I had a bad boyfriend yeah and I was like oh never date anyone like him again <laughs> you know but I didn't know that this was a whole like crime like you know and so yeah volunteering and then I realized oh wait they've been what and so just hearing other survivors' stories and then sharing my story one-on-one -on -one with individuals who have walked that life, it's like, oh, wait, this, this is not just me. Yeah. This is a whole thing. And I understood, I started to learn quickly what trafficking was. Um, I understood the term. Yeah. And, and that's when it was like an aha moment. Yeah. And uh, when you're talking about being okay with that, the fact that it happened to you and not to blame yourself, um, would would it be beneficial for family and friends to uh, I, this is a simple uh, sounds like a simple question but like um how i'll rephrase it how can friends and family uh be more patient so in understanding that uh their their family member or friend has come out of this and it's not their fault that they're not exactly a plus at life skill right now yeah, listening is the first skill that family and friends need, loved ones need, um, because you have to really hear sur survivors when they're telling their story. And that means they may not even use words, but you still have to hear them. You have to understand um, the education piece is huge, too. So, like, if you if there are resources that can educate you on what trafficking is versus going to the individual that experienced it and say, okay, well, what happened? And how many times? And, and yeah, all these questions that are really, really triggering. Instead of doing that, just let that individual talk at their own pace mm -hmm. when they're ready. But on the other side of it, you can be doing the research and you can be engaging on like the trauma, be more trauma informed and how do I really have these navigate these conversations and stuff. And so with the education piece and listening to your loved one that has experienced this, you will be like the bomb loved one. You'll be like the bomb family and the bomb friend. Yeah. Like we would, and I say we, because I, a lot of times I speak on behalf of survivors, mm -hmm. but we would so love that without the judgment. Mm. So educate yourself more individually and then also allow the person to open up without, without your own selfish wants of figuring out what it happens. Let them tell their story. Right. Over time. Okay. That, yeah. I think that's really good advice. Yeah. Because everyone, I, it kind of makes me think about uh, as sad as this is, uh, when someone's like, oh, my God, did you hear so-and-so passed away or died? 
And then, like, what happened? Yeah. Like, I always like, oh, that sounds like, why is that your first question? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's probably something terrible that happened. Right. But I think it's kind of like a, a knee-jerk response for most people to, like, want to hear about distress and bad things that happen, probably because of how our media is structured and yeah, it's absolutely. always negative. Yeah. But um, that's uh, uh, thank you for expanding on that. Um, sure. So, so you have someone that's, that's, that's gotten out of this situation, uh, doesn't exactly know where to turn, but they meet Kathy and, and, uh, what, what are, what are the first things you you guys are going through with them to make sure that they're at least starting out on the right leg before you really go into the deep of it. But what, what are you guys doing with them in, in the early stages? So um, building a relationship uh, yeah. just so that we can have a trust-based a trust -based relationship. Um, and we do that through mentorship, too, um, if they choose to, to partner with us. And we always, in our organization, we use the term partner because we can't, we're not, you know, little G gods. We can't run around saying that we're going to save you and we didn't rescue anyone. Yeah. It was the survivor's brave choice and courageous decision to say, okay, I think I need help. That was on them, so we didn't do anything. Mm -hmm. And so we want to partner with them. We try to create a partnership with them to say, okay, hey, let's, let's figure out what you need. Um, we will follow you. Um, as much as you want us to be involved, we will follow you. Does that mean that you need safe housing? Great. Of course, that's one of the number one things is the feeling of safety. Um, then we will connect you to resources that can get you housing. If you want someone to walk alongside you because you want that support you maybe you don't have a, a healthy support circle you feel like you're all alone maybe you don't have family then that's where our mentorship programs come in where we mm -hmm. can literally form this mentorship circle around you and help you navigate through life stuff and that can be anything right mm -hmm. so we try to look at like the immediate goals versus this big elaborate plan mm -hmm. what, what are you going to be when you grow up plan right that's yeah. not realistic and so we number one obviously to answer your question is um, a trust-based relationship yeah, I'm starting to hear a trend where it's a, it's a soft approach, mm -hmm. uh, and taking and, and taking the selfishness out and taking the, the, as someone who's supporting the ego ego out and being like, look, look, the most important action was the fact that you came to us, yeah, and we're and we're here just to to help that and keeping things simple, mm -hmm. uh, uh, from the beginning. So for for you, obviously, Kathy, you had said that you kind of realized what you had gone through helping out and volunteering. You knew that volunteering made you feel good. Yeah. And you were, you were seeing similarities. You wanted to do that. Uh, you're already trying to figure out things on how to just live a normal life by yourself. Uh, at what point were you like, you know what? This, I want this to be my purpose. And, and where, where did, where did that start? Where did that click over? When I started seeing the impact that it had on um, individuals that I would share my story with, so storytelling is really my thing. Is mm -hmm. what is what kind of got me through. Yeah, you're pretty. Um, you're pretty good at it. <laughs> when I when I got out, I wrote a journal because I didn't have anybody to talk to. And it's not that. Remember, I said I had a supportive family. It's not that they weren't there to support. It's just that they didn't understand. Mm. So I couldn't like have a conversation with them. So it went on paper, and that paper turned into a book, right? And it was just supposed to be yeah. this. Okay, great. I got a book. This is just to help people one on one, and so I would share it one on one, and people would come back to me, and particularly women, and with their bawling their eyes out, like this happened to me. And then when I started to share bits and pieces of my story publicly, 
I would always get hit up like, you have no idea, but mm-hmm. I went through that. And these are people that are not public. These are people that you would have, you wouldn't even think of, right? Some people that were even in my circle that I, I didn't know. Um, but yeah, so this happened to me as a child, or this happened to me when I was in college, or whatever the case may be. When I realized the power of sharing my story, that's when I knew it was my purpose. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay, so I didn't go through all that crap <laughs> yeah. for nothing. Like I literally, this pain is turned into purpose and I actually can help people. That's dope. Like mm-hmm. I'm gonna do it then. And so that's when it turned for yeah, me. Yeah, I think, I think uh, well, that's amazing. Uh, I think one of the, the biggest things that you said there was that people are able to relate and, and that's another trend I'm starting to notice, but I feel like that that goes a lot with with everything from from addiction to mental health to to, to sex trafficking as well, where where people it doesn't really penetrate the skull until you can relate to the to the situation. Uh, I notice a lot of the billboards that say if you think you're being trafficked, call this number. How inefficient do you feel like those are? So, if you sorry, recall, that was a leading question. No, if you recall, <laughs> how do you feel about that? <laughs> if you recall, I, it's funny because I just had a billboard conversation today. That's why it threw me off. I was like, yeah. "Are you listening?" But um, I am good. <laughs> but I think that you know, if you recall, I said that I didn't know that I was in it. So if I, I yeah. probably saw billboards mm-hmm. and didn't resonate with me because I didn't know what the heck that was. Mm-hmm. Like, what do you mean trafficking? That's yeah. some foreign thing that doesn't happen. That's yeah. a border problem, right? That doesn't. I don't understand yeah. what that is. And so it doesn't resonate with individuals that are actually in the life. For what it's worth, even myself, whenever I see those signs, I, initially my my subconscious is telling me about sex trafficking over the border. That's yeah. what I'm thinking. That's what is that's re- reaching out to. Right. Yeah. So so you would say then that not not a huge fan of them. I'm not trying to put it down. No, <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not a huge fan of some of the messaging. I think okay. if we can change some of the messaging and make it more real, yeah, uh, make yeah. it like speak my language and speak right. individuals' language that are actually in the game, in the in the life. Yeah, I keep saying in the game in the life that are being trafficked. <laughs> that's what you call yeah, it. Yeah. But that are being trafficked, then then they would be effective because mm-hmm. I could see that and say, well, oh, okay, so I'm not supposed to be sold for mm-hmm. money. Then that's that makes more sense to yeah. me, or I'm not, you know, whatever. Um, I'm valuable, I'm worth, whatever the case may be, whatever right. they need to say. But I think if we change some of the marketing mm-hmm. and the designs, then yes, absolutely. Because that number goes a long way. Yeah. Uh, I, I would assume there's there's ample help as soon as you pick up the, the, the phone. Um, I was going to, sorry, I, <laughs> I was going to go back because you, you, mentioned, you mentioned the term in the game. And talking about messaging, uh, I, would, I would assume that when you're, you're being trafficked, there's that positive spin on things. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like a, a war that's being battled unfairly because there's a constant, this is just my rambling mm-hmm. of thoughts, is there a constant distortion of reality and then you have messages trying to get you out of there that are completely detached. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's that was, you said that perfectly. Uh, if, because I'm trying to roll this into, because I, Right now, where we are with social media and everything like that, I think that's more likely to get in front of someone's attention. Mm-hmm. Have you guys thought about, I know you said you're ramping up the social media, mm-hmm. but have you guys thought about eventually putting dollars into marketing campaigns and trying to target those who will more than likely be uh, being trafficked? Yeah, absolutely. That's something that we want to do. It's being done. Um, some organizations on a national level, they're definitely mm-hmm. on the targeting social media because 
I say that social media right now, these days, that's like the traffickers hunting ground, right? Mm. So all you literally have to do is scroll, hit a DM and boom, like it's a disaster. Mm -hmm. So definitely, uh, that's definitely something that we as an organization would think about in the near future. I got you. So that's uh, so. Step one: get the social media up and running. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I keep sorry. I keep going to the front end of everything because I'm sorry. I know you had already told me that though you guys are helping as much as possible, it's more about the after. The after mm-hmm. uh, that. So so get, so getting back to that. Um, how how would you guys get in front of, or how are you guys getting in front of more people and individuals that have gotten through this situation we're a kathy that we're just didn't even understand the situation did get out of it but uh, like how do you get in front of someone like that so it's a lot of our um, relationships come from partnering organizations okay. we have a lot of partners in houston in the anti-trafficking movement um and so a lot of times they have residential care and they're mm-hmm. focused more we have this map right but right in the middle is like programs and residential treatment mm-hmm. centers and assessment centers where they actually are living, where survivors can actually live and yeah. be in a program for like 18 months or whatever the case may be. Then after they graduate, then it's like, okay, now you need to figure out how to really do life on your own because you're not going to have the cushion of a program anymore. We've taught you how to do resumes and stuff like that, but it's kind of like when you graduate from high school or college, it's like, okay, what am I supposed to do with this little piece of paper? What You have to learn how to, how to do that, and so that's where we come in. Got you. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. What do you? What do I do with this? What do yeah. I, I, I have exactly. this now? Got you. So you're you're leveraging the partnership you right. essentially have. Um, yeah, you had to build those partnerships. Uh, when you first started, uh, how did you how did you approach these these outreach programs? How do you, you repro- approach these these government uh, agencies? And and how does one go about? Like, let's say someone's listening right now that mm-hmm. wants to do a lot of good in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, and maybe it's sex trafficking. Uh, may, maybe it's something similar or different. Or mm-hmm. but but it's going to be involving with a lot of government agencies. Uh, what were the hurdles that you had to overcome? Uh, talking to these officials, getting their attention, getting them to take you seriously, and so on and so forth. Well, I had to definitely, like you said, build those relationships and partnerships with um, the people that are already doing it. So our approach, we didn't want to come uh, duplicate a service that was already there. Mm. Um, we wanted to fill in a gap. And so by, you know, showing people and our partnering organizations like, hey, we're not trying to step on any toes. We're not trying to reinvent the wheel or duplicate services that are working effectively because that doesn't make any sense. Mm. We're literally here for the people that are being affected, which are victims and survivors of trafficking. And this is where we've identified some gaps. And so we're going to take this chunk of the gap and we're going to stay in our lane. And we're going to do it and we're going to do it well. Yeah. So you identified that that there was there's there's clearly a, a lot of well-working parts already there mm-hmm. and you're like the clear need is is holding their hand and making sure that they they find the life that they really want and right. you, you're like that there's a big void there i'm gonna fill that void yeah you know fill it full of love right yeah <laughs> uh and uh and, and get it done so okay that's so so, so for anyone that's listening then it's, it's the same as any business mm-hmm. just the same not that this is nonprofit, of course, mm-hmm. but you're finding you're, it's easier to find a need that that needs to be fulfilled than right. try to be re- repetitive. Right. Okay, okay, cool. Uh, 
of course, running a nonprofit is like a business mm-hmm. uh, in the sense that everything that has to do with financial and all that and, and, and working with employees and, and working with clients as well mm-hmm. uh, can be stressful at times, I would assume. Um, you have a pretty strong purpose, but uh, you're, I'm assuming you're human just yeah. like me. <laughs> so, so when times get tough, uh, what what's the easiest way? What advice would you give for someone that's working in a very like high stress, high trauma situation to keep yourself going, to keep your head up, and 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 to be the strongest yeah. lady in the room for those who really need that? Yeah, definitely self care. And I know that word is I know that term is overused a lot, yeah. and it. Sorry, I use the word ally, so yeah. we, could use buzz, we could use buzzwords. But definitely self-care, um, and that doesn't always look like breathing exercises. That means like, hey, unplugging and going and chilling with your family and mm-hmm. reconnecting with who you really are, um, and then not being the end-all, be-all, which mm-hmm. means rely on a team of people. Mm-hmm. I'm huge on collaboration, so big on it. If, there's, if I get a call from, let's say, a young woman that needs immediate housing and maybe she needs some detox and rehab, I'm not going to say, okay, I will do that for you, right? Like, yeah. that's not my lane. But I can refer her to some really cool um, partners that I have. Um, so not taking on too much. Mm. Uh, kind of staying in your lane. Yeah. Stay in your lane and self-care. And rely on a team build mm-hmm. a team of people that can support you when you do need to take a step back or that can hold you accountable when they realize that you need to take a step back yeah yeah got you so uh as much as apparently we hate that word self-care yeah. right? Turn to self-care <laughs> no that's that's really important uh i i struggle myself sometimes not doing that enough but uh but something really cool that you continue to say is stay in your lane and uh i i think I've I've noticed at least a lot of individuals who are looking to do good in the world. Uh, they do want to try to solve everything, mm-hmm. uh, whatever whatever that niche is. It's still every part of it. Mm-hmm. But uh, that's really important. I think that you are realizing that you have a gift mm-hmm. for a very specific part that you've learned, and, and you can hone in on that. And then you're like, you know, other people have gifts just as good as me right. in the other areas. Exactly. So, so that's super cool. I'm reading this um, really cool book called Learning to Be <laughs> yeah. by Juanita Rasmus. And in the book, she talks about you, you're deserving, you deserve your want. Mm-hmm. Like you're deserving of your want. So things that you want, because a lot of times we get into this and it's like, oh my gosh, my whole life is, you know, anti-trafficking and I just got to focus on this. And so really you can't even have normal conversations with your friends without talking about trafficking. Yeah. And a lot of us that are in this movement are like that. It's like, oh yeah, you know, they're, they're talking about football and by the way, yeah, we went on outreach and it's like, okay, like uh. really, but you really have to connect with yourself. And what do you want outside of this mission and outside of this purpose? What are some of the things that you want? You want to travel, you want to be great, you want to do whatever, right? You deserve your want. It doesn't mean just because you have a purpose and you have a calling and this is your mission doesn't mean that that has to overtake your entire life. You yeah. still have to have some balance. Yeah. No, that's uh, that's a clear uh, problem that I think a lot of people who are high achievers yeah. uh, struggle with, <laughs> struggle with for sure. So that, that's funny. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure, I'm sure as much as you want to help everyone all the time in this, it, it does, <laughs> you do need to recharge your battery. Yeah. So that's, that's pretty cool. Um, as far as like the support system, um, something that I wanted to add on to family or friends that have 
know somebody that's going through this is yes go at the pace of the person that's gone through this but also let them know that you're there just kind of mm-hmm. like you know just kind of push it on the table like i'm here if you need me no pressure the ball's in your court basically yeah, yeah. kind of thing um because i think that was something that i kind of struggled with um i had an amazing support system my mom has she's like a hero she's a fighter she really is but she kind of pushed me sometimes when i needed people to back off Mm. and then there was people where i'm like i really need help or i really need to talk but i don't know who i can go to because i don't know if they will be willing to listen with open ears and no judgment so i think just kind of making sure that the person you're wanting to help knows that you are there because there is sometimes where it's because you're kind of having to relearn things. So mm-hmm. you don't know if you can really trust that person. Like, yeah, I, I grew up with my cousin. And I know they would never really judge me. But mm-hmm. I just had my whole life flipped upside down. So I don't know if that trust is still there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so it's, uh, so it's we're doubling down on the fact that anyone that has a family member or a friend that has come out of this situation, you have to be super patient. You have to. It has to be almost like a push pull in the yeah. in the softest of ways. Yeah. Hey, I'm here when you need me, but also you don't have to talk to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's kind of confusing, and I feel bad saying, or I feel bad, you know, having gone through it and put my my family going through that with me. But it really, like you said, a mm-hmm. push and pull because there was times where like I didn't want to get out of bed. I really didn't, and my mom. Would, she would force me like you need to get up you need to be productive today even if you do just one load of laundry mm-hmm. do it and that was the push that i didn't know that i needed yeah so i think it is a lot of give and take in that yeah. relationship mm-hmm. okay i got you and how, how did you meet kathy by the way it's actually a funny story so <laughs> I, kinda, I love funny stories <laughs> well i mean it's funny but not too funny <laughs> <laughs> it's a dark humor funny okay. <laughs> i um so Kathy actually used to work with my mom mm-hmm. at um, a dialysis clinic, mm. I don't know how many years ago. And um, the way that I met my trafficker was the same way. It was, I think they call it a Romeo relationship. Mm-hmm. So we mm. were together, and I eventually got married to this person. And um, it was, I knew him for about five months, and then we got married, and we were married a little bit over a year. Well, throughout that marriage is when the trafficking and the domestic violence started. And it was very similar to Kathy where it was, oh, I didn't mean to do that. Or, you know, I just I had a really long day and I I shouldn't have let my anger take over. So it was a very toxic pulling back for pulling back and forth relationship. And um, there was one point my big realization moment was I had he had been very physical with me and I had to cover up. The bruises with makeup and mm-hmm. i was staring at myself in the mirror thinking when did i become this person i was i was not raised to be that way i was always the i'm gonna do what i want and nobody's gonna tell me otherwise i had a stable household i had old, younger siblings i went to college so it's like i knew what i was supposed to do quote mm-hmm. unquote but i still had this person who had that manipulation over me so i was always coming back or i not that i shouldn't say i was always coming back but i never left Mm. Um, and it wasn't until I just had a moment and my mom caught me crying and I, I couldn't do it anymore. And so I showed her, um, the bruises that were left on me. And I told her if she remembered her friend, cause my mom had told me Kathy's story. If she remembered her friend who, who happened, what this happened to, but I didn't know what to call it. I didn't know that it was called trafficking. I, mm. even then it didn't take me till months afterward that I realized that's the same exact thing. There's no sugarcoating it. Mm. I was being trafficked by my husband at the time. 
Um, so that was how I met Kathy. I met her because my mom knew her and I needed, I used her in a way to tell my story. Oh, I got you. Uh, thank you for sharing, by the way. Thank you. And it's, I, I hear both of y'all's stories and it's the word trafficking. I think maybe even that has to be like re-envisioned because, mm -hmm. because for both of y'all, uh, that, that word probably didn't come to mind at all. Mm -hmm. um, it was just more exploitation than anything mm -hmm. like that. Right. And uh, that may be a, a good step at some point for agencies to try to kind of, I don't want to say rebrand, that's probably not the, the best term, mm -hmm. but but look at it from a different light um, because it's it's it seems very technical, mm -hmm. the term, when you're talking about human experience like it's a technicality mm -hmm. of, a, of a human experience um so so even in your situation y you had to kind of have light sh shown on it and you had no idea until i'm guessing you you, you talked to kathy and then it started started to be able to relate yeah it did take a while um i actually i had to go to i went to counseling and as i was going through counseling i would tell them you know this is what happened to me my uh my ex-spouse did this to me and it took weeks and weeks of them reiterating you know that this this wasn't your fault mm -hmm. you had no part to you were not to blame in this and they were trafficking you and it still took a long while a while to identify with that because it kind of i know it sounds weird to say but it makes you feel dirty more mm -hmm. so than the actual act mm -hmm. of doing it yeah. because there's such a big stigma with this and you know thinking about taken and you also think about i know this is an old movie but hustled and flow like that's not the lifestyle that that was mm -hmm. you were literally being forced and threatened with violence or actually had violence act, violent acts committed to you if you didn't comply with this person mm -hmm. and so it's kind of hard to say that i am a trafficking victim because you really don't want to identify that with that mm -hmm. and it's so hard to come with those come to terms with that because in part because I think part of, you know, the mental uh, aspect of it, like, no, that didn't happen to me. It's denial, denial. But also because there is such a big stigma attached to it. Yeah. And so it's hard to kind of say that you were trafficked. Yeah. Especially if you don't know that that's what that meant. Like many of us. I yeah. think that's like the one thing I could probably empathize with. Because mm -hmm. for me as an addict, mm -hmm. one of the biggest hurdles Mm -hmm. was accepting that I was an addict mm -hmm. because there's such a bad stigma that mm -hmm. like I'm a bad person right you yeah. know um and I and I I think that's a societal thing that probably needs to tra change in general mm -hmm. is is that you have to almost accept a victimhood of something that inherently your brain is telling you this is bad right. it's mm -hmm. bad to be associated with this so um does that come up in when cuz I know we talked about accepting the fact that you are a victim of being trafficked mm -hmm. how do you how do you help someone get over that kind of perspective mm -hmm. so that they they stop looking at it as something bad they, they start realizing that it is just a part of their past and the most important part is that they overcame it yeah and that's what i'm glad you used that word overcame because that that's a term that i use all the time even when i'm talking to survivors it's like no you are an overcomer um, and then it has to be to like self-defined. So what, what do you think, you tell me what you've been through. Um, 
you know, was it abuse? Was it whatever it was? Um, was it uh, overcoming an addiction? Whatever, whatever little piece that they can identify with, we kind of just let them run with that. Mm. But then, and then slowly introduce the fact that, hey, this other bad thing happened to you. Um, the fact that someone was um, a third party was actually making profit off of you and you know you were forced to do and uh, things that you probably wouldn't do on your own um that's trafficking right and so it's like just kind of just it's all like it's like spoon feeding them literally because that's what had to happen for both of us i believe Mm -hmm. is just that we had to be spoon fed that i don't even now i say that i'm an overcomer of trafficking and i love the word overcomer because it's for me and my personal healing because restoration is like a lifelong process so for me in my healing journey, overcomer is bigger than trafficking. So I always say, well, I'm an overcomer of trafficking. Um, some people identify better with survivor of trafficking. Great, mm-hmm. survivor is bigger than trafficking. I need you to hear that I'm a survivor of trafficking. You know yeah, what I'm yeah, saying? Yeah. Like, it's like, it's kind of like that. So, um, and I would love, I love what you said about just changing society and how they think because it's so, it's such a shameful thing. Um, much like Abby, because I came from a good home and a good upbringing, it's like, well, this is my fault. Like I should have known yeah. better. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's uh, and it's and it's interesting too that you you mentioned upbringing. I think the general, and I'm trying to pull pull from like when like when I think of sex trafficking, there's like innate thoughts that I'm like, that's stupid. Mm-hmm. But like you're conditioned to think like, okay, well, that's probably lower income or it's mm-hmm. across the border. Like, mm-hmm. like we mentioned before. Mm-hmm. So there's innate things that I think are attached to it from a societal kind of media perspective mm-hmm. that because that's so, so attached, you're like, well, this can't happen to me because I'm, right. mm-hmm. I'm not that. Or, like, mm-hmm. or once you do accept, you're like, well, am I, mm-hmm. you know, from a lower point? Like, mm-hmm. do, you know, do I not deserve a good life? Like, I, I, yeah. I don't know if that's what goes through the heads. But. Yeah, and those risk factors are very real. So obviously people that are um, impoverished are at high risk. Foster care system, those that have been through the foster care system are highly at risk. Those that, uh, people of color are highly at risk, right? And so those are real risk factors. Mm-hmm. But people need to understand that those are not the only risk factors. And right. so the way, that, the way that I explain it is that trafficking, sex trafficking doesn't target individuals. It does not discriminate. It targets vulnerabilities. Mm. So if you've ever had a vulnerable moment in your life, whether that's struggling with um, a marriage, whether that's struggling with college tuition, whatever your vulnerability is, and we all have them, if a trafficker can sense that vulnerability, which is what happened with me, I was the weakest link out of all of our friends. And I didn't, I didn't grow up with a, a father, which wasn't a huge void to me yeah. um, because Every memory of my father was great, and my mom did an excellent job. So I wasn't walking around like, oh, yeah, I, have a, I'm a, I come from a single-parent yeah. household. But he sensed that vulnerability, mm. and so he preyed on that vulnerability. So whatever vulnerability that you have, that's what this thing called trafficking targets. Yeah. And, and you said your your biggest hook was the glamour. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah. it is, is, as you had mentioned before, it's going to be different for each person. Right. So you have a, you have a real predator. Mm-hmm. Um, and f- to try to look out for that, like, so, it's like, uh, obviously I, I think the statistic, I, I don't know the exact statistics, but I would assume it's clearly more females than males that are, that are being tracked. Correct. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, what should a woman look out for 
to make sure she doesn't get uh, attached to or preyed on by, by someone like that? Um, it comes from your inner self, okay. <laughs> right? Honestly, just to be quite honest, I know that's really vague and hard, but okay. you really have to, um, my instinct told me that I probably wasn't in a good situation, mm -hmm. but I wanted that love and attachment and that mm -hmm. friendship and that partnership with this individual more than I um, wanted to connect with myself, more than I mm -hmm. valued myself. And so that put me at huge risk. But then also just knowing some of the some of the red flags like if this individual can't meet your family or is hesitant about meeting your family and coming to like Thanksgiving dinner and stuff like that then that's a red flag if this individual speaks on your behalf or is totally controlling like in my side in my case I did have red flags I just didn't understand what those were at the time mm -hmm. I felt it like oh this makes me feel kind of funny but maybe he's just he wants to know where I am every minute of the day because he cares right that was a red flag that yeah. I should have paid attention to. And so sometimes it just takes really paying attention to some of those red flags. And we, you know, we can, connecting with your organizations and people that are, um, that understand this space can give you some, you know, a long list of those red flags if people are unsure. And if the individual that is going through it can't recognize it, it's very important for the support system, her circle of support yeah. um, to recognize right. it. Actually, can I go off of that as far as recognizing the red flags? Like you said, you know, when you're in it, you kind of, you dismiss them a little bit because you're like, oh, no, like, that's my friend or that's my boyfriend. They would never say that in a malicious way. Mm -hmm. For viewers that might be going through this system or going through this or who have gone through this, I need, I kind of want to reiterate that it is not their fault that they did not recognize those red flags because you are so comfortable and they are master manipulators right. because that is what they are, that they have found out a way to get past your security gates, so to speak, and make you kind of like, just whatever, it's it's no big deal. Mm -hmm. So something that I heard from one of my therapists was that really helped me because I, I put a lot of pressure on myself as, why didn't I notice that? Or why didn't I, I knew something was up and why did I stay? Was that how evil would you have to be to recognize that? to yeah. recognize that that is a malicious person. That's true. So that's kind of, I kind of want them to get that so that they realize that it really isn't their fault. And there's, yeah. if they want to get you, there's kind of not really a quick way to mm -hmm. get out of that, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. uh, to realize that kind of evil, you mm -hmm. have to be comfortable with that kind of mm -hmm. evil. So right. Yeah. Like, who, who's comfortable with that kind yeah. of evil? Mm -hmm. uh, and, but, you're, uh, but you're also saying that it seems that when I was listening to y'all, that the main points are control, isolation, and, 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 and they don't integrate into your, your circle at all. They don't. It's a process, right? And so this is not the only process, but what we've identified as like kind of like the common process, especially mm -hmm. the, with Romeo pimps and CEO pimps, mm -hmm. um, is their process of... What's a CEO pimp? So the, so the CEO pimp will come at you with a job. Like, okay. hey, I have this really great job opportunity, and it's so professional. So mine happened to be all three. So it's Romeo Pimp, CEO, and then Gorilla are kind of like the main ones. Okay. Gorilla, very forceful. Gorilla's more like taken, abduction, you know, snatch right. you off the street and, like, it's going down. But the Romeo relationship, the CEO will be like, hey, man, like, or send you an email or send you a DM. Like, I have this really great opportunity for you. Whether it's modeling, whether it's, um, if it's a young boy, it could be something to do with labor, like this football team or whatever the case may be. Um, or the job just seems really, really legit and they can back it up. 
and they can provide um, evidence that this is happening. But when you get there, you mm -hmm. uh, you obviously know that it's entrapment. Like it's yeah. it's a way to capitalize. Uh, kind of a random offshoot from that. How often are because obviously there is a, a legitimate, legitimate and legal sex work. Mm -hmm. um, of course, porn is is uh, the biggest industry here. Uh, how often is that? Are those lines blurred? And like, um, and how how can that be combated? Yeah, I'm really glad that you asked that because um, there there is no lines. <laughs> yeah. There there's no lines. It's all together. Where there is porn, there is trafficking. Mm. Um, where there is illicit massage parlors, there is trafficking. Mm. Where there are um, commercial sex businesses, mm. there's trafficking. So there's it's really really hard. I um, I don't I can't say I'm looking for the word, but I respect. Let me say that I respect individuals that are saying I'm doing this by my own choice. Um, I respect them. I listen to them. I hear them. But with trafficking. It is literally, you can be trafficked in any way. You can even start off as like thinking that, okay, this is consensual or whatever. But once a third party comes into it, you've been trafficked. And I have some friends that exited the porn industry. And they when you hear their stories about what they've had to go through, it is absolutely awful. Mm. And so traffickers don't have just one lane. They're not just like, okay, yeah, I'm going to capitalize off of you and I'm going to work you on the street or I'm going to work you through hotels or whatever. It's every wherever there's sex, there's trafficking, right? Yeah. There's there's a potential there's potential for trafficking. So and that's these are master manipulators, and you have to think of it like a business. It's a criminal organization, but it's a business. You have the facilitator, which is the trafficker. You have the demand, which unfortunately are the victims and survivors, and then you have the um I'm I'm sorry, the you supply. have the demand, which are the buyers. Yeah. And then you have the supply, which are the victims and traffickers. So you think you think about this as a business. Well, the facilitator is not only going to have one lane. He's constantly thinking about because mm -hmm. he's driven by greed, right? So how can I capitalize? Right. And so um, when you think of strip clubs, and you know, a lot of individuals are run through strip clubs. Not every. Some people are there consensually, yes, but that's like the favorite place for pimps to go sit down and kind of like recruit mm -hmm. their next victim. Um, same thing with porn. It's just there are no lines. It's all together. Yeah. And uh, another, sorry, not to go on, another different mm -hmm. offshoot. Uh, the, those who are the facilitators themselves, though they're clearly not good people, they also come from, I would assume, some trauma in their life as mm -hmm. well. Like it, it seems that it's, it's a, it's a meetup of trauma meeting trauma. Yeah. Uh, both trauma becoming an extremely aggressive and mm -hmm. manipulative person and someone who, like kind of fit that fit that mold mm -hmm. uh and that's and i mean that's beyond unfortunate uh, of course and the buyers too i think it's all yeah. mm -hmm. yeah. it's just a it's just a big mess of mm -hmm. brokenness exactly mm -hmm. that's exactly what it is but you overcome and you repair mm -hmm. and you can on all ends technically yeah and i think that's possible for all players in the game yeah um a lot of times you know allies will think that the first thing that a survivor wants is immediate justice. Well, no, we want immediate healing <laughs> first. <laughs> and then let's yeah. think about the whole justice piece. I absolutely advocate for justice. I think everyone that commits a crime should be should mm -hmm. pay for that crime. However, if I really were to have my way, I would really want that person to pay for his crime, 
and then come out on the other end advocating with us like hey no that was really messed up what i did and how i treated women and children were awful it was completely awful but now i want to educate people and other like mm. traffickers on how to get out of this that would be like my dream versus you right. rotting in jail for a hundred years right yeah because that's not gonna technically that's not gonna change their headspace right mm -hmm. uh, it's gonna make them obviously have consequence for right. what happened but yeah that's a that's an interesting look because most people will because on the outside looking in it's like make this person pay i'm especially friends and family mm -hmm. they probably want to murder that individual honestly yeah uh and it's and it is not unnatural for someone to immediately feel that right uh it's just uh, it's really good that you're looking at it from a, a, a big picture mm -hmm. uh situation that like the more we can heal the, the better exactly so so if, if someone wants to uh oh you know what i didn't ask this whole time where did 1211 come from? Oh. <laughs> How did I forget that question? Yeah, right? <laughs> so 1211 came from a Bible verse. Okay. Um, Revelation is 1211. And a part of my healing journey was my spiritual aspect. Um, as prayer like got me through and just connect. Yeah. And a lot of survivors will connect with something, whether they believe mm -hmm. in God or not. It's like they got to connect to something, right? And so for me, it was being raised by my grandmother who was like literally taught us these Bible verses. And I just remember... Um, that, you know, it kind of got me through. And so 12.11, the first, Revelations 12.11 says, we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. And for me, my overcoming came from my testimony, a.k.a. sharing my story. Right. So the more people that I can get to tell their story through 12.11 partners, and tell your story doesn't mean, you know, doing the podcast or whatever the case may be. It can yeah. mean however that looks for you. You're still telling your story by living your life. Yeah. So that's where that came from. That's good. That's good. So, yeah. oh, so essentially overcoming from just speaking your truth. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I feel a little bad saying speaking your truth. I hate that term. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what it is. But speaking it's true. Your story, speaking yeah. your story. It's your truth. Well, uh, well, thank you, Kathy. Thank you, Gabby, for coming on, guys. Um, I uh, to to look you guys up. Uh, it's uh, 1211.org. Yes, 12 right, the word and then 11thenumber.org. You can donate there. Uh, as Kathy had said, if you feel like you can bring a, a very powerful life skill to the mm -hmm. table, um, yeah. they could contact mentors. Mentor, mm -hmm. yeah, mentors. So if you've had the experience, anyone that and housing, yeah, that's a big housing one. and jobs. So a lot of times when survivors get out of this life, um, out of trafficking, it, they come with um, a lot of things on their record. So. Another misconception is that traffickers just sell you for sex, but you're literally their fallback person. You're if they're if they sell drugs too, then you're that you're the runner. You're everything. You're writing bad checks. Mm -hmm. You're getting things in your name. So naturally, when people get out of the life, they have things on their record mm -hmm. that prevent them from succeeding, right? And so there are these huge barriers that we expect people just to like, okay, just live your life. But yeah. how can I when I can't get a job and I can't get housing? And so. Our, our huge ask right now is just anyone that feels that they can um, help with that, try to help overcome some of those barriers. Mm -hmm. Employers who are willing to give second chance. Um, these ladies are phenomenal. Look at Gabby, like she's like freaking a doctor or something. I don't even know. She's <laughs> <laughs> a doctor. I don't even know. <laughs> but, like, but like these ladies are phenomenal. Not everyone. Um, people bring. People have skills. These individuals have skills. They just happen to have happen to have a jacked up past that they had no control over mm -hmm. so to say that oh wait this bad check is on your record yeah you can't get independent safe housing like 
then what's left? The street. Yeah. Right. And so we really, really need partners that will partner with us for employer, employer, employment partners and um, housing mm. partners, okay. uh, project manage. I mean, uh, what do you call them? Property managers mm -hmm. and people yeah. that are willing to say, OK, well, you know, let's 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 figure this thing out. Gotcha. You, got yeah. You. So if you guys know anyone uh, that's in property management or you yourself are in property management specifically for housing, uh, go to 1211.org, 12 spelled out, 11 the number. Uh, Kathy needs your help to help get uh, these amazing amazing overcomers uh, <laughs> back on their feet and uh, back into a, a normal life. Uh, you can also find Kathy on Instagram if you mm -hmm. want to talk to her directly, uh, at Kathy Givens. Yep. Uh, and then I think you do have a, a 1211 Twitter account. It's 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 a baby. A baby account. You know, we we are definitely building up our social media. If anyone yeah. wants to help with that, hey. Hey. Come so on. Any, so anyone that's a social media whiz, uh, come on board as well. Uh, and if you have any questions for Kathy, you could of course drop them in the comments below. Of course, this is Texas Tea Podcast. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, of course, YouTube and TikTok. Uh, very soon. <laughs> I looked at Gonzalo and he gave me the look. I'm definitely slacking on the social media myself as well. But uh, Kathy, Gabby, thank you so much. Thank you for telling your story and uh, and hopefully it can be an inspiration to others. Very grateful for you thank guys you. coming on. Thank you. Thank you for having Welcome us. Thank you guys. Mm -hmm.